lights out. And away we ayo. Welcome to No Breaks, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks Inc. Classic Factory, proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Trey Kirby. We've got our local F1 expert, Graydon Gordian, alongside me, JD, making the magic happen over here in the paddock. And we are very excited to introduce our special guest today and our first official guest, First Graydon. official guest. She's a writer for The Drive and RaceFans.net, one of my favorite follows on Formula One Twitter, Hazel Southwell. Hazel, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I hope you like pumpernickel toast. That was going to be my first question for you. We saw Toto order it like a hundred times during Drive to Survive Season 4. Have you been uh, itching for pumpernickel since, we, since uh, Netflix dropped Season 4? So I have to admit, I actually didn't know what pumpernickel toast was <laughs> when I first saw Toto ordering it. Um, but I did actually eat some the other day, and it is pretty good. Like, okay, I, I can see. I can see. I think that's bit. among the four of us. I think that's two votes for pumpernickel, two against. I think JD and I are officially pumpernickel cynics. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were hundred percent for me. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. still willing to order it because uh, I'm like you. Like I saw it, I saw Toto, and I was like, I gotta see. It's been you know 20 years. So Graydon tracked us down some uh, last week. We had one bite each, and that seemed to be enough before that recording enough for a podcast. One was plenty. But you said you didn't know much about pumpernickel toast. Something I didn't know much about um, until watching Drive to Survive was Milton Keynes. I think it's Byron Buxton who says. Even people who live in Milton Keynes don't want to live in Milton Keynes. Hazel, I think you grew up nearby. Is Milton Keynes really all that bad? Um, so I, I did. I kind of grew up near Milton Keynes. I, I grew up near a, um, an equally uh, deserving of its reputation town <laughs> called Reading. Um, but Milton Keynes is kind of like not that far away. Um, the thing about Milton Keynes is it was built deliberately um as like a new town it was like a, a sort of development that was made deliberately um not very well uh, so it's it's got um it's got it, well there's a lot of people who like it um, um and lots of people who live there some of whom got in touch with me on twitter after i tweeted a joke about this um uh were are quite keen to defend milton Keynes, so i i'm so say that some which, people do which, want to live there. Which, if you had to live in any of that, there are so many teams based in like that mm. part of England. Which of them would you want to live closest to? Like, what is the nicest of those towns? I I don't think Trey or I have ever been to that part of uh-uh. England. So I don't like. What is the nicest of those? T- the McLaren facility looks very nice, but is that a nice area? I don't even. Know. I, I was going to say I'd probably go for Woking. Okay, um, yeah, Woking. like yeah. it's it's quite it's fairly. If you've got to be in like a relatively small town, it's like fairly well appointed. There's a lot of fast trains to London and stuff, and um, it's it's not crazily expensive because like say like Williams are near Oxford. But then you're shelling out. Okay, understood. Understood. Makes sense. Yeah, I see where Williams is falling short a little bit here. They're spending all of their money on rent. It sounds like rather than actually just having being able to improve their car. Yeah, real estate yeah. expensive. Uh, for me, I feel like I go with one of the Italian teams though. Like if I got a, I'm Homer. in Marinello. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a oh, Homer fan, but I feel like sure. that's you know. I mean, it seems nice. That's you know. I think Yuki would agree with me. The food is probably better. Yeah, he didn't seem to be the biggest fan of uh, the Milton Keynes food. So that's the most boring place on earth. But he certainly loves the roundabouts. No speed he, limit on the roundabouts. Go as fast as you possibly can. I respect can. a roundabout. That's a very smart way of structuring traffic. It's much better than most 
American like intersections. I fully believe that. I, the metric system. I'm pro roundabouts. Metric as well. system roundabouts. These are huge improvements <laughs> over our way of doing things. I mean, I just fully believe that. So. All right. All right. Uh, quite the dramatic weekend for Formula One. We'll get into the race here. We're going to take you through all of it, starting with Friday when a missile was launched and hit the Aramco oil facility that's about 10 kilometers from the track in Jeddah. This led to a four-hour meeting uh, after after the session. Drivers and teams a discussion late into the night about the safety of holding a Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia, really, before ultimately deciding they're going to race and getting assurances that they weren't in any sort of danger for the remainder of the weekend. Y'all have obviously been watching F1 a lot longer than I am. Has there been any sort of, you know, real-world events that hang over a a Formula One weekend like this did? I mean, there have been controversies in various nations, maybe criticisms of maybe attending a race. But, Hazel, tell me if I'm wrong. I can't remember anything even close to a missile attack like that you could see from the track that I I, I have nothing nothing that I could possibly compare to this and listen I am so happy that the race weekend went fine from there and that there was no further incidents of course that's what we were all hoping for but I won't lie at the time I thought to myself they absolutely need to cancel How this, this race. Possible? I thought it was cra- I thought it was crazy to go forward with it I thought I thought I thought you know, it's it's easy to say in hindsight that, of course, everything is fine because everything ended up being just fine. Thank God. But I, I, I was I thought it was a bit of a mistake to move forward. Certainly had anything else happened, the ramifications would have been awful. Luckily, nothing else did. But I, I think you have to certainly question, you know, whether it, it, I think it it's just another layer and something I'm sure we'll discuss here in a moment, which is. Already there was a lot of criticisms or questions as to whether we should be racing in Saudi Arabia. It seems like yet just another drop in that bucket uh, as far as whether or not we should even be in Jeddah racing. Hazel, any did you feel similarly? Um, so I'm like quite a, a I don't want to say unique, but, but I guess an unusual person to be speaking about this because I go to Saudi Arabia for Formula E. And um, when we were there in early 2021, there was an alleged, well, there was an intercepted missile strike that was allegedly headed towards Riyadh. Um, That led to the airspace closing over Riyadh and a lot of people ending up stuck in um, the airport for up to nearly two days. Um, And a lot of us ending up stuck there whilst all our visas were expiring and like Saudi Arabia, it's not the most comfortable country to realize that you're in illegally and things. Mm. Um, sure. Fair. Uh, it's not It's not really like the most um, ideal situation. Um, so there was kind of, I guess, previous to this um, in that incident. On the other hand, not only did it not hit any target anywhere near the EPRI, but I, I'm, I've never been 100% convinced that wasn't like at least somewhat pantomimed by the authorities because there is a desire in Saudi Arabia to be perceived as threatened or politically there is a desire from the Saudi Arabian government um, for the Houthi threat to be believed to be very, very credible and very dangerous to justify the war in Yemen which is the the seventh anniversary of the start of the Saudi bombardment of Yemen uh, last weekend. So 
some coincidental timing and it would have been reasonable to expect that there could well have been an escalation mm-hmm. um, from the, the point at which these initial strikes happened. Um, I mean, should you race next to a burning oil refinery? Probably not. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. when you put right. it that way. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, I, I, okay, so I have a question. So, but you've, so you've been to Saudi Arabia, then you've attended races there. You know, what is that experience like? I, we do, we have friends who've traveled to Saudi Arabia. I don't believe either Trey or I have, mm-hmm. but have been there for work and other things. And, you know, I, I, people have, uh, it does seem as if the process of getting into the country can be a little bit intense, but also people have found that people to be very warm and, and friendly. Like what, what's been your experience actually on the ground there attending a race? I know it's Formula E, it's a little different, but I gotta imagine the Venn diagram has a decent amount of overlap, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think actually Formula One have a way more um, tight ecosystem for journalists when they're attending. Formula E basically let me kind of just wander off on my own. Um, but it, it seems like there's kind of like specific media hotels and, and there's, there does seem to be a sort of a slightly different approach taken by Formula One with regards to, to how people attend. But it, there's also a much larger number of people turning up to that. So it is a different event. Um, but yeah, for me, I mean, it, it, the country has changed very, very dramatically since I started going in 2018. In 2018, it felt like walking around somewhere in lockdown, um, like very few people in the streets, very little going on, not much open. And now when I went back um, this January, it was a really different experience. Like Riyadh is really buzzy. It's full of barbecue smokehouses. Like they've really gone in on barbecue as a trend um and like um the it's very obvious that there is like a much more open society or at least because because the law had basically prevented people from socializing or even gathering in groups for a long time that 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 element is is significantly changed and the saudis are um now able to congregate they're able to go to the cinema they're able to go to concerts um, and sporting events, and and that has had a very significant effect. Um, Saudi Arabians are super friendly. They're all of the ones who I've met have been very warm and, and kind. I have I now have quite a few Saudi friends, and um, yeah, it's it. <laughs> It's, I would have said that the thing about Riyadh when I first went there was that it was boring more than anything else <laughs> because this is not really anything to do or see or, or kind of because there was this sort of intense lockdown-like um, prevention of, of any form of social life or social sphere. Um, and now it's like, well, it's sort of the only... Well, not the only thing that strikes you. There's there's still lots of differences between Riyadh and a lot of places, but at the same time, it's it's not. I, I'm never quite sure what people imagine when they think about Saudi Arabia, mm. but it's it's not kind of like. I mean, not as foreign. I think people, it's, it's very mm. other, like people think it is just radically different. It's yeah. maybe getting a little bit more recognizable to someone like us. Well, Interesting. So nonetheless, though, despite, <laughs> Hazel, your suggestion that we not have a race within a few miles of a burning oil refinery. We I did believe, indeed. I believe we did. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, so. and honestly, a very exciting qualifying session on the Saturday, unless you are Lewis Hamilton, because the big shock in this one is Hamilton in the Mercedes qualifying 16th out after Q1 because of performance for the first time, I think, since 2009, Graydon. I think we were both living in Chicago still at I think that we point were. in 2009. Uh, Hazel, any idea what was going wrong with Mercedes and Lewis and qualifying? Because that was crazy to see him struggling so much, especially compared to George Russell, who did perfectly fine. So this is interesting. I was actually, I was just working on something earlier today about, um, uh, with some quotes that, that Russell gave after the race, where he said that he and Lewis had gone in di opposite directions, essentially, with the car setup. Now, you could argue um, the the reason they did that is because Mercedes are really in trouble at the moment, and and so they're just kind of sending them in opposite directions to see which one works um to to get a better uh, steer on it but i think it was it was each driver's choice mm. also it's it's not like the team picked um and uh yeah lewis said that he he got the setup wrong they made the car significantly worse uh for qualifying and the you know there's a point at which it essentially becomes undrivable um particularly with this poor poising problem that's that's affecting Mercedes more than any of the other teams. Yeah, I think Russell said that he thinks like 99% of their performance problems are coming from porpoising, and I know you usually like to explain it with cheese, uh, Hazel, but it does seem to seriously still be a problem for Mercedes. I thought it was crazy to hear from Hamilton afterwards basically saying like, yeah, I made the wrong call. I, I set up the car wrong for us. Yeah, I, I mean, so it, it does feel wild to me that the that you know he's blaming russell's blaming it on the porpoising and i'm not saying that you know that of course that is what's fundamentally wrong with it he goes on to list just roughly 1 million elements of the car <laughs> that are like a vibe that are like complicated by that byproduct that it's like there's engine issues there's front wing issues there's mechanical grip issues there's downforce issues there's whatever he has this laundry list of things so i get it is simple to say that porpoising is the fundamental problem but it doesn't seem like an easy solve to me you know all, all things considered i and it and Certainly, I, I think Hazel's right. You know, they're just experimenting. They're just trying things going radically different directions to see whether the car setups work. And clearly, whatever Hamilton chose was, uh, was you know, was not the right was, choice. Was not the right choice. <laughs> I think he made the wrong choice. Uh, that, you know, so. Has there any, ever been anything like this sort of thing in the past where, like, regulations are changing over? Obviously, that's going to change the way cars are made. But it is strange to see a guy in Hamilton who was at the absolute pinnacle of his of his sport being just another guy out there i think that was weird it's a little bit to me like vettel kind of struggling with ferrari there uh after being a champion with red bull but i don't know you don't see that i guess in basketball like a player will be an, an mvp candidate one year and then suddenly they're one of the worst players in the league that doesn't make sense to me so i was very surprised to see that especially mercedes is still a quality team even if they're maybe the third fastest out there I would argue, and I mean, Hazel, you, you can speak to this better than I can, but it's, it does, I, I do think what was interesting to the, though, is oftentimes we talk about the car as this sort of constant factor. Like, it's like, oh, well, the car is better, you know, Ferrari's car is better this year, or, you know, this car has got the pace or whatever. But in actuality, the amount of 
you know, small choices that they're able to make week in, week out to optimize for any given track and the speed of the corners, the amount of straights, whatever, you know, whatever sort of setup that they want. It, it, I think the gap that you saw between Russell and Hamilton in qualifying is, uh, while, you know, unfortunate for Hamilton, is an, a really interesting example of just how much variety you can have even around the same fundamental platform of one car. Mm. Uh, you know, so I think it's it shows just how many small decisions are made week in, week out by these teams also, and the ramifications of them, which are huge. So, so what do you think, Hazel? Is it possible to, I mean, Mercedes looked a little bit better, definitely in the Grand Prix. Hamilton's cars seem to be more on par with Russell's. Is this something that they can figure out in, you know, the coming weeks to get ready for the Australian Grand Prix? Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, when you look at the Mercedes-powered teams, they're, they're broadly in trouble. Um, and I think, uh, but I think that might be kind of disguising the issue. I think Williams and Aston Martin being in trouble isn't necessarily all that surprising. Um, and then because they, they weren't front runners last year, um, so struggling to reinterpret the, the new regulations maybe isn't very surprising. And then um, when you look at McLaren and Mercedes, they have basically opposite problems. Hmm. So McLaren have effectively stopped their car porpoising, but have no downforce. And Mercedes have way too much downforce and their car is poor poising out of control. Um, so it, it, somewhere between the two, there's a there's a good car. Um, do I think the Mercedes factory team are going to be able to turn that around faster than McLaren? Yes. Whether they're going to be able to do it by Melbourne, I don't know. Because um, I think if this was going to be a quick fix, then they would have done it. Because mm. um, it kind of... Mercedes had a really messy time both preseason tests and and it just doesn't seem to be going away. Do you think that they they have the ability to fix it by the end of the season? Like do you expect that you know when it when we're at the second half of the season post summer break whatever they'll be back fighting for podiums, back fighting for the top step. It may it might be too late for them to be back in the title race at that point, but do you expect them to be competitive with Red Bull and Ferrari come the end of the year? Uh, it really depends on whether they can get this poor poising <laughs> under control. Um, and it, it like it, it sounds ridiculous to be just saying that and and to keep repeating this poor poising problem, but it, it really is um, that they can't get the car into anything like a workable window until they stop the pull poising. Um, so, uh, yeah, it depends when they get that under control. Then they can start looking at the other competitive elements and bringing upgrades that will bring them them quicker and, and get them to a place with Ferrari and Red Bull. But Ferrari and Red Bull are also going to be developing their car. This isn't going to be like last year where a lot of the teams kind of went like, you know what, we have to stop this. We've got to look to 2022 halfway through the season. And and some teams continued because um, Mercedes gave up quite early on developing their, their 2021 car and then um, looked forward to this car in aiming to give themselves more time to make this one really good. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they're in for a tough one. On the other hand, they are a very good team. They have exceptionally good people. I'm sure that if anyone can turn it around in a, in a quick way and, and quick enough to get back into the title fight, 
then it's them and and Red Bull and Ferrari comparatively do have relative history for choking uh, development wise. <laughs> yeah. or, um, that was nice. Not, that was very kind of, making kind way to put it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I love that a no. relative propensity yeah. Uh, yeah so as long as Red Bull and Ferrari stop working on their cars and Mercedes gets on the phone with McLaren to see what they're doing it sounds like Mercedes should be able to turn this around yeah. right away <laughs> not great for the Silver Arrows uh, to start not great to be doing A-B testing with your cars and to be doing like road tests during the Grand Prix if you ask me it's but not, not the only bit of drama from qualifying in Q2 Mick Schumacher big time crash at turn 12 Went basically straight into the barriers. I think they estimated it at 33 Gs of force. Turned out to be a million dollars in damages. Schumacher went to the hospital. No injuries, but did not race on Sunday. I was surprised during the broadcast that they kept saying that they weren't expecting a crash where it happened. So, Hazel, kind of what happened with that Schumacher crash? And why was it, you know, why was it such a big deal that he crashed where he did? And why are there no barriers in that sort of place. He was like straight into cement. That was scary. Yeah, I mean, uh, so it's it's actually, it's exactly the same place where there was a very violent crash during the Formula Two, mm. um, the the kind of junior series of Formula One, um, earlier in the weekend when Chen Bolokbasi basically had exactly the same crash. Um, it's, uh, it's a very high speed part of the track around that turn. Um, it's basically F1 car should probably not be racing at speeds as immense as the Jeddah track supports next to concrete barriers. Hmm. You have to have the concrete barriers there because you have to stop them because it's a street track. Um, and otherwise they're going to be hitting all kinds of stuff. Um, well, I mean, Jeddah is barely a street track, but in theory, it is. <laughs> right. um, uh, and so, you know, when we think about street tracks, we think about something like Monaco, like Singapore, both of which are relatively low speed circuits. Jeddah is one of the fastest circuits on the entire calendar. It's comparable to Monza. Um, and when you think about that, then it's like, well, these crashes will be immeasurably violent because they're going into barriers that are not intended to deal with those speeds. These are, these are intended for, for relatively slow speed circuits. Um, and, you know, working in Formula E, like they, the barriers are very, very close on E-pre circuits. They're all street tracks and they do hit them a lot, but you don't see that level of disruption because they're not going 170 miles per hour at the time. Mm. Um, I mean, you do still see very violent crashes and then like, you know, I, I don't want to lessen that or to lessen the, the danger. But I mean, I feel that we were very lucky not to see um, severe injuries uh, on Mick. Um, he was very lucky to escape a concussion. Uh, Chen Bolokbasi, the Formula 2 racer who, who crashed like that, did get a concussion. Um, and uh, yeah, I, he only didn't race on the Sunday because Haas knew that they couldn't rebuild his car. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's got to be a conversation about there being part of the track that is any part of a track that is that hazardous and let's face it most of the track in Jeddah is that hazardous so yeah it seems like that was quite uncomfortable viewing yeah last season before we even raced there for the first time I mean we hadn't even seen cars on the track and there was always a lot there was already a lot of anxieties around the speed uh you know of the track how narrow it is which I think there's even instances where they made it slightly wider but I I don't know that you know that makes a huge difference it's 
I don't know. I feel like this is going to be an annual conversation. I, just to be frank, I don't think there's any likelihood that all, even with all these things coming together, we're not going back to Jeddah. Like they have a very sure. long contract there. They, you know, Aramco is the, you know, the lead sponsor of F1. We're going to be going back to this track repeatedly. And I think this is just a thing. We'll just have Hazel back next year at this time, and we'll just talk about how well, we can have this exact off. same conversation again because I honestly think these sorts of crashes are going to happen. They're going to happen again and again and again. And I, my hope is is that is that it's just we maybe we can see small improvements in the track that decrease the likelihood. Hopefully, we get out of most of these weekends with it. But I, I do think this is this is just the nature of such a narrow high speed track as Jetta. I, I, I don't. I don't see it. It, it. To me, in order for it to be better, you'd have to change. The, it changed the whole track setup really radically, which I don't know if they intend to do or are even thinking. Well, they just of built doing. it, right? I mean, yeah, they've been racing it, there for right. two years, so it does exactly. seem quite likely that they wouldn't change the track dramatically uh, right away. But I mean, if there's going to be scary crashes at the same place. They got to at least add to the barriers or something along those lines. Or here's another thing they could change. I thought it was very odd that they couldn't communicate with Schumacher at all. And they eventually mm-hmm. went on to explain that with the new, with the way the cars are built, now they're kind of like supposed to split in half a little bit. But unfortunately, the communication part is in like the back part of uh, the chassis, which meant it, which just makes it extra scary when you see a huge crash and then you're not hearing anything back. We didn't know at the time that's just kind of the way the cars are built. But it seems like they should maybe think about the ways the cars are built so you can talk to your driver after a big crash. It did. It, that was a scary few moments there, no doubt. You know, that that period afterwards where there was no news. No news in that context seems like bad news. Just want to hear, a, you know, yeah, I'm okay. So, yeah, that no news seems like bad news at those times. So luckily he, luckily he was fine. and Back at the track fu- the next day. <laughs> Back yeah. at the track the next day. And there was a little good news in qualifying. We had a great battle for pole position during Q3. I think Carlos Sainz had qualified P1 after Q2. He put down another provisional pole during Q3. One-upped by his man Charles Leclerc, though, put up his own provisional pole by about a tenth of a second over his teammate, only to be beaten out for P1 by a Red Bull driven by Sergio Perez, taking home the first pole of his career, also the first pole positioned by a Mexican driver. Uh, Hazel, what'd you think when Sergio Perez took home a pole position? Um, uh, I think it's <laughs> it's almost uh, kind of offensive to Perez that we're all so surprised. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, um, you know, because he is a very fast driver, but typically he hasn't always been that great at qualifying and he's quite often been beaten in like qualifying battles in, in terms of which comes out ahead by his teammates he's very good in races he's very good as a racer um but yeah like typically has has not been someone who um uh who would out who would put in that kind of lap and, and he uh-huh. said at the time if he drove a thousand laps then he would never put a lap like that together <laughs> again um and uh, i guess it's just one of those things where it's like a driver really hooks it up and it would i mean it was pulled by a huge margin big as time. Well. yeah big time um so yeah i mean you, nothing but respect for that it's, it was an incredible lap I'll, I'll be, i mean as our as our leading charles leclerc stan i was pretty confident he was getting pulled <laughs> after that lap i saw the sure. time i thought 
I was like, gosh, that was quick. We're, we're, we're looking good here. I, you know, and not to mention that coming out of, I think if you saw the, which the infographics seem to actually kind of be working this week, coming out of the first sector, uh, Perez was way down on him. He was still like, you know, a third of a second down or something. He made up a ton of time the over zone. the back half of the lap. It absolutely hooked it up. But I don't know. It was awesome. It was cool. And I, I loved to see it. I wish the race had gone a little better for our man Checo. But Bad it, timing. But, but it. But at least Saturday was awesome for him. And I I mean, I, my hope is, is that this is a season where I'm sure as it evolves, Verstappen will be very obviously the A player for that team and will be the guy that they're positioning to win the title. But my hope is, is that it can be a, a little bit more equitable and there's a few more instances where Checo can maybe be on the top step, you know, a, a, you know, a little bit more of a... You know, he's less of a supporting role than he was last year. I imagine as the season goes on, he'll become more and more that. But I'd love to see him get some more race wins under his belt. He deserves it, deserves the recognition. So, yeah, I like to see uh, Perez up on top. Uh, I thought it was very funny to hear like the buzz, like, will will Red Bull switch Verstappen and Perez? I'm like, we're on the race two. Like, Max is going to make it up over the course of the season. We don't need to be shifting him up into P1 here. Uh, uh, right away. Nonetheless, Sunday race day, 50 laps in Jeddah, but only 18 drivers. Schumacher held out with uh, his car severely damaged, and Yuki Sonoda wasn't able to start due to drivetrain issues. We've seen a lot of problems with Red Bull engines to start the season. Hazel, is this something that they're going to need to continue to worry about? Alpha Tauri's just not finishing these races? Starting these um... races? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, not even starting. It's, it, that's that's a pretty bad kind of uh, situation to find yourself in. Um, I think, yeah, uh, it seems like Mercedes have made a pretty reliable power unit that maybe doesn't go very fast. And the other two have maybe found a different balance because we've also seen a couple of, of um, Ferraris, not on the factory team cars, um, but, but on um, the Alfa Romeo um that uh hasn't had like a great time bottas retired with overheating Mm -hmm. um in jeddah uh and yeah there does seem to be a reliability issue with the um red bull powertrains um power unit and although it's been different things every time so uh it seems like it's been mg uk on both of the alpha towers or at least something to do with the hybrid system um and then on the two Red Bulls, it was um, the lift pump, which is one of several pumps in the uh, fuel system for um, a Formula One car, which is actually a generic part that all cars use. Mm. So, um, <laughs> can I ask? Can I ask you a question, Hazel? Because you're, you're mm-hmm. you are much more knowledgeable about powertrains than I am in general. This I'm going to flash forward. We'll cover the start of the race. We'll cover the first safety car, but I want to flash forward to kind of somewhere in the 30-somethings laps, we we see a slew of cars kind of suddenly retire, right? Like, um, Alonso, Ricard- lap 36, Ricardo, lap 37, and then, then you said Botas also retired with a... Uh, overheating. Interestingly enough, I guess actually three three different engines, you know, the, the, the Renault, the Mercedes, and the Ferrari-powered engines, and then we saw, I guess, you know, Yuki didn't even make it on the track, but what... Is that is that a heating is that an overheating issue is that a byproduct Hazel of, of driving in these in in a in the conditions that like what is 
or were they all unrelated issues? Like why why did we see such a so many failures and then like all at the exact same moment, which seemed like an odd coincidence? So with the two that were overheating with Bottas and um, Alonso, um, yeah, I think you can probably attribute something about the rhythm of the race, like uh, the way that pit stops and the safety car and things had taken place. Um, where you see overheating on F1 car, it, it sounds a bit backwards to say they overheat behind the safety car um, because you're thinking like, mm-hmm. well, they're going slower. Why would they be overheating then? But of course, actually, all of the cooling on an F1 car, because it's not like it's got aircon or, or whatever, <laughs> um, is to do with like airflow over the car. Um, so uh, all of the ways that the, the brakes are cooled, um, like if, if you think about the brake ducts as these like kind of enormous funnels um, and stuff that you see on the cars, um, and yeah, all of the all of the cooling of the power unit, all of the cooling within the car, is entirely dependent on it being able to go at speeds that you would expect an F1 car to go, because that's how it's meant to work. So when they have a long time behind the safety car, especially when um, they're between walls, so there's limited, there's no there's not a lot of um kind of like ambient airflow there's no breeze really um and there's not uh and it, when you're in somewhere like Jeddah, which is is pretty warm um and quite humid then you will see overheating so i, I think both of those you i wouldn't be able to say like specifically what overheated on each of them because obviously the teams try and keep that pretty quiet. <laughs> um, but whatever the overheating problems were, it, it was probably to do with the um, the rhythm of the race to some extent. And also to do with these new aerodynamics, to do with the, the fact that teams are sort of trying new stuff with their cars and the, the way that airflow works. Um, Ricardo, it seemed like a, a strange work. It seemed like it was a clutch issue, a, a sort of gearbox failure. Got it. So... Um, it's sort of hard to say whether that could also have been overheating or it could just have been a a mechanical um the team said it was mechanical so i think i think although they all happened within a very short space of time and it's probably all of them ultimately are attributable to stresses on the car that were caused by the way the race had unfolded. Hmm. Um, but I don't think there's necessarily like any particularly unifying factor. I think if you're going to look at um, any kind of like pattern between the way that there are, have been retirements, and, and we probably will see a lot of retirements over the course of the season for reliability issues in a way that we haven't previously, uh, or we haven't for a few years, Um is uh, if you think back to the start of the hybrid era, um, it, twenty uh, when when the the full turbo hybrid um, systems were introduced, there were a lot of uh, reliability related retirements. You'd see multiple drivers per race having their cars fail, and just in the last couple of years, maybe the last two three years, that's really almost stopped. Um, you very rarely see drivers, uh, or certainly last year, you relatively rarely saw drivers with problems like that on the car, basically mm-hmm. because the teams understood their cars incredibly well by that point. And, and because the regulations have been stable for quite a long time, they weren't essentially having to like run on the real edges of something that they didn't necessarily fully understand how to 
to make it um, as efficient as possible, to make it as reliable as possible for a race. So, yeah, I, th I think we will see quite a lot of it. Yeah, one of a million things it seems like they're, all these all these teams are going to have to figure out, but I'll be interested to see who's the first Formula One car to put in air conditioning because that might be the yeah, key there to overheating, nice. just throwing an air it's conditioner. Nice. Nobody's going to complain. I don't know that's that it'll slow down. That's true luxury. Right yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. the Ferrari should definitely do it. <laughs> yeah. All the bells and whistles. But there was a lot of really fun moments in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We had some great battles between the two Alpines early on. We had some safety cars that really changed things up uh, with the time of when they were coming in and when the pit windows were open in the end we had Max Verstappen taking the win over Charles Leclerc in second Carlos Sainz in P3 Hazel did you have a favorite moment from the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix uh, for me it's got to be the the in the early stage of the race it really uh didn't look like we were necessarily on for a thriller mm -hmm. um like let's put it that way apart from Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso decided to put on the show it was so like, cool. yeah. oh, single-handedly. Were... I don't know if they'd been told that they weren't getting paid next week if they didn't make sure <laughs> PWT got enough airtime. Um, but yeah, they, uh, it was a very good day to be an Alpine sponsor. And it seems like that was, between that and then the 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 battle that we had with Leclerc and Verstappen at the very end of the race, it does feel like we have reached a point where if you have two equally matched cars, they can go at it lap after lap after lap whereas i do feel like in previous seasons it really i mean i'm being a little too cynical when i say this but it's oftentimes it's basically about tire degradation and were and like were were you able to catch up and pass somebody as their tires were like quickly approaching a cliff had you synced that up right in this instance it's not that tire strategy isn't important but it doesn't seem like also unless somebody is severely disadvantaged on the tires that's the main way you go about you know using DRS to pass them and and then just off into the distance you go you know, here it's it, it feels like we can have these extended battles and honestly Alpine might have battled for longer had Botas <laughs> not been right behind them and had they had to tell them to, to cool you know, you yeah. know to cool it and and focus on the fact that they were you know that they were going to get overtaken by by another team right so it's i don't know it I, it just seems to me like this is it's not perfect, and even post-race, a lot of the guys talked about how DRS is still a necessity for overtaking mm -hmm. and things like that, but it does feel like we are inching towards a more competitive, more exciting form of racing where we are better optimized for on-track battles. That was the whole goal of this, and I'm not saying it's like mission accomplished, but like we're getting there. We're getting there, and it, it's good. It's exciting. Yeah, it definitely felt like uh, in yeah. previous seasons you had one chance. You know, yeah. like one chance to make the move happen. If you get it done, you probably get it done for the rest of the race. This, like, Ocon versus Alonso, this was like multiple laps where they're going back and forth through multiple corners to the point where they eventually had to get Otmar on the radio. And they're like, you're sure you're okay with this? They asked him like a hundred <laughs> times. He's like, it's all right. They're not going to crash into each other. And then by lap 20, wherever they're at, they just got to stay there. I thought that was a perfect uh, way to play it. Um, I love Otmar. Yeah, I thought I, it was I like... Thought that was really interesting because i think the team actually so i know we were all like oh my god you've got to stop them like why is otmar being like hey this is cool um but this is really valuable data for the team about the way that their car behaves when it's following another car hmm. um and uh, the way that they can exploit the way that works and and improve the car so actually um for something that was relatively harmless and you have to assume that your drivers are not gonna um, crash each other out. 
dangerous assumption, but still. Um, and also where you're not going to lose any places because it's just teammates exchanging places. Really, really useful piece of like data gathering for the team there. Like, so I, I think that was probably, uh, although it looked kind of crazy that they were letting them <laughs> race, it's, it's um, yeah, really useful thing. Are you them. telling me Otmar wasn't putting the fans first, but there was an ulterior <laughs> motive no here? Because I had thought that he was just show? doing me a solid. Because at the time, you're right, the race was was fairly boring <laughs> yeah. for like the first, you know, 40 odd, you know, 40 odd laps other than that. Yeah. That was the highlight, no doubt. But then we got some more drama a little bit later on. Lap 15, Charles Leclerc is on the radio and you hear from his pit lane, boxed overtake, boxed overtake. He's currently running in P2. Perez hears that, though. He says, all right, I'm going to go in first. Leclerc stays out, but then instantly Nicholas Latifi crashes. A virtual safety car becomes a safety car. And suddenly Perez's race or chance at the podium is basically over. I thought that was incredible, especially to hear Leclerc explain it afterwards. He's like, yeah, we were completely faking him out on the radio there. I didn't know that they did that in Uh, Formula One, like messing with the other teams over uh, the intercoms. Yeah, I mean, they probably, you know, in... Or feigning as if it's do the opposite of whatever Perez does. Sure. But in actuality, I think you know that, A, Red Bull really does not like to get undercut. In fact, they, like, wildly favor the undercut, right? They like to change tires early and, I think, be on the fresher tires early in a race. And then, two, I think the Ferrari thought it had pace that it was losing and wanted clean air in front of them. Mm. So I do think that, you know, everything that happened with Latifi was just icing on the cake for them and happened to solidify it. But I think they they got the outcome they wanted, which was Perez to go into the pits. I think that I think that is what they were hoping for. I, I, had Perez stayed out, would they have pitted? I mean, I don't know. Hey, Hazel, what you think? I feel like the answer is probably yes. I mean, because uh, it seems like they were not they were not in a good position to overtake. You had to try something, uh, but it, that is the outcome I think they were hoping for is what happened. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think that it, they decided to see if they could do the fake and they could. Um, <laughs> and it obviously proved then like turbo disastrous for Paris yeah. um, because of the safety car. Um, but I think if if that hadn't worked, then, yeah, they would have had to pit because that would have been their only choice. Um, the Ferrari clearly did not have the same pace as the Red Bull down the straights. And Jeddah is like nearly all straights. So, <laughs> um <laughs> Or Wiggles, at least. Yeah, Wiggles. Straight. I think that's fair. Wiggles, Wiggles and one, yeah. a couple of hairpins at the Wiggles. ends. Yeah. So that was a big uh, big battle in the middle of the race, but the climactic battle really begins about lap 42 after a virtual safety car restart. Leclerc is in P1, Verstappen in P2. He's doing his classic thing where he likes to get right up next to you. How far can they take that? Could they go three wide? Like if Signs is like, fine. <laughs> You're messing <laughs> with my guy, I'm messing with your guy. I'm getting up here. I don't know how far can you take that. I don't know if that track's <laughs> wide enough to get yeah, three wide. Not. So I don't. Verstappen has made that his calling card. That mostly. is, yeah. That is now like a constant thing he is doing. You know he's he did that like a couple year. times in the past. Now it's an every time thing. They um, eventually restart though. Verstappen passes Leclerc with DRS. Leclerc gets him back with DRS. Leclerc basically stretches out his lead through the curves, the wiggles, if you will. Hazel Verstappen comes back during the straights. They eventually both lock up during a turn. But on lap 47, Verstappen finally changes his approach. He goes for the second DRS zone for the overtake, makes it stick, and he holds on to the win, even though there were some double yellow flags on the last lap that were a little confusing to me, trying to see what was going on there. Hazel, what do you think about Verstappen versus Leclerc round two here? Um, I think, you know, 
what we saw was some very clever racing. Um, the way that they were swapping the DRS between them was, was um, them both showing off basically mm -hmm. how how technically good they are as racers. Um, and I think that's um, yeah, that's it's impressive to see, especially in the final laps of a really exhausting race. Like I, if you saw the drivers afterwards, they were like running with sweat, <laughs> and all of them looked like absolutely like dead on their feet. Um, uh, and you know, exhaustion is a real thing, both mental and physical, over the distance of a Grand Prix, especially between like very tight walls on a street circuit. Um, so yeah, to see them doing that in the final laps was was pretty impressive. Um, and uh, I mean, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, it's very different to when um, Max was uh, racing Lewis last year. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, they were taking more risks, that it felt more like they might crash each other out, whereas um, Verstappen and Leclerc are being sort of like relatively respectful. Um, I think it, we also have to consider that <laughs> these early. very different cars. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it's and different so, cars. What do you yeah. mean by that? I was going to say it's early. I, I, my my running theory of this has been is everybody's talking about how respectful they are right now, but but let's see yeah, they how to let, each other. Let's they see how respectful this is if if we're tight with a, if we're separated by a few points with just a couple of races left let's see how you know how much everybody is like congratulating one another but what's what would the why would the cars be the reason that you might be less you know, a little bit less elbows out out there um so i know uh, we we've mentioned this a couple of times already in in this discussion but the cars can follow much closer to each other right um without it being like super forced so you're not having to make those moves if you overtake each other it doesn't have to be like a really tough dive it doesn't it doesn't have to be incredibly close um so yeah I, th I think it's probably a bit more possible to um to to kind of leave those gaps um because you're not having to make quite such a i don't want to say desperate but like not quite such a risky move in order to be able to make an overtake um and uh i also think another factor is that the drivers are leaving margin at the moment mm -hmm. um they've got really reduced re visibility over their uh, over the front of the car because of the uh 18 inch uh wheels mm. um so they've had like a substantial amount of their field of vision taken out and also the the kind of um the mud flaps kind of right <laughs> that are, yeah. the, the wheel covers that, uh -huh. that are over them so they are leaving relative margin because they they don't know where the other guy's front wing is so they could be running themselves into a puncture otherwise yeah, that's a great point because they were even talking about like as hamilton point. was like making his way back through the field they're like i'm surprised they're giving him so much space maybe that's why just still getting used to the cars this is the second race with a completely new <laughs> new car that everybody's driving but it ends up being one one uh Verstappen and Hamilton, uh, you know, and maybe sure. that's the way it would have gone with the way the tracks are set up. Your top 10 in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix goes like this. Verstappen, Leclerc, Sainz in P3, Perez in P4, George Russell, the number one Mercedes at fifth, Ocon in sixth, Norris in seventh, followed by Gasly, Magnussen, and Lewis Hamilton down in 10th, had to ask his radio, they get points for 10th place? <laughs> Couldn't even believe he was all the way down there. And he was honestly a little bit lucky uh, to finish in 10th because at that second uh, safety car, I was just missing the pit window like every single time. I, I guess uh, Magnussen and Hulkenberg were able to get in right away. I wasn't sure why Hamilton wasn't maybe just in the wrong part of the track. But by the time he came around, it was shut down and 
just had to deal with 10th. Yeah, I think he skirted on by. I think when they told him to box, I think he had just passed and he was on the main straight. And then I think by the time he got back around, I may be misremembering, but Alonzo had actually pulled over mm-hmm. in the pit straight. So yeah. at that point, they had closed yeah. the pit entry, which so it's the timing there again, just terrible for him. I actually, at that point, I was fairly confident that that was the end of his chance at points, sure. on, at getting some points on Sunday. I was I was pretty impressed that he managed to work his way back into 10th, to be quite honest. So, so that's the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Hazel wanted to ask you, uh, if you were able to vote for three drivers of the day, what's your rankings going for uh, Sunday's race? Uh, I think we've got to give uh, Gasly some credit, um, sure. Uh, for sure, especially because he, he said he was in enormous amounts of pain for the yeah. last 15 laps. And like screaming in his helmet, um, he felt like he was being stabbed. Um, so the fact that he Ooh. held on and he, he managed to take uh, eighth, um, I think is is pretty impressive. Um, I think uh, it's it's interesting because uh, I'm always I'm always a bit reluctant to like reward the podium. So <laughs> sure, like, sure, they they already got rewarded, um, uh, but. Um, yeah, I, maybe an Ocon. I thought he Ocon had a nice good. race. Yep. Yeah, a nice Ocon, race. Ocon had a really good race, um, and uh, I also think Norris um, did pretty well to drag that McLaren into seventh. Um, yeah. It's yeah. not a good car. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, definite bounce back week, sort of, <laughs> for mm. McLaren. At least looking competitive. Yeah, those are. I li- I like those choices. I think it, Gasly, Ocon, Norris, all all great picks. Honestly, I I'll, the other person who I would mention here just is. Russell, I know we've talked about his setup, mm-hmm. but like clearly the the Mercedes isn't there with the Ferraris mm-hmm. and the Red Bulls. But I, I I feel like he just did like a very nice, solid job on both Saturday and Sunday, like keeping it competitive, staying right there, capitalizing on the opportunities that came up. I he just drove a nice race. I feel like that's what you that's what we were expecting from him this yeah. year, which is to come in and be reliable, be quick, you know, maybe not be. Five places better than Hamilton, you wouldn't have expected. Uh, no, I wouldn't have expected that. No, that's not – I don't think that's what, what people thought this season. Yeah, he almost was too solid. Didn't get to see much George yeah, Russell because he was kind true. of just, just out there on his own uh, for the majority of this. But, Hazel, thank you so much for joining us. Can you let the people know the best place to follow you to find your work? Um, so uh, if, you, if you want to, <laughs> uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter. I'm uh, H uh, Southwell. F-E, because uh, I normally work in formulary. Um, so, yeah, uh, you can uh, keep up with my tweets. Bad posts there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We all got bad posts out oh. there. Uh, you're an awesome follow. So thank you so much. We'll have to do this again uh, sometime. But right now we're going to take a break. When we get back, we got some news to talk about. Welcome back to No Breaks. We just recapped the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix with Hazel Southwell. Go follow her on Twitter at HSouthwellFE. Lots of great times with our guests, Graydon. A couple of things didn't make the recap, unfortunately. One thing, JD, that uh, caught my ear when I was watching the race, there was a Coronation Street shout-out at one point. They were talking about like uh, like the, the soap opera drama between what? the drivers, and they mentioned Coronation Street, and I was the Leo meme at that point. I was like, I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, what did they say? What was it? I don't know. They're, they're literally just like, oh, if what? it is a if In... it is a soap opera, if it is like Coronation Street, <laughs> okay. 
you know, what is <laughs> Wait, what is Coronation Street? What is Coronation Street? It's yeah. the <laughs> longest running soap opera of all time. They're in their Wait, 61st is it an, season. Is it an American? No, it's no, a British no, 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 no. Okay. daily right. soap opera. Okay. And uh, I dip in and out. It's it's one of my favorite shows. Legit it, one of it, my favorite shows. Really? Well, Absolutely. So it's worth a watch. You say, can yeah, you dip, can you can you dip in and out, or do I have to go back to like season one, episode <laughs> one, to like you, get the story? You have to dip in and out. It's too much. It's, it's too much. Uh, it's, yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't catch that, because if they said that, I would have had no idea what they were referring to. Yeah, you have to have spent a few years in Canada or anywhere else in the Commonwealth <laughs> to get the another yeah. uh, great quote uh, from Crofty uh, showing the Aston Martin pit wall, and he says... As we look at Mike Rack on the pit wall, <laughs> there's a guy, there's an engineer named Mike no, Rack. It's the new, Mike Rack is the new Aston, I think he's the new Aston Martin principal. Oh, he's the Aston Martin principal? That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so we're yeah. going to be looking at Mike Rack quite Mike a bit. Mike Rack is back. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be, a, Mike, Rack, Mike Rack is going to be at every race. <laughs> Very yeah, exciting. He's going to be visible at every race. Yeah, Mike make Rack. sure to get your Saks underwear, S-A-X-X.com. Promo code no dogs for a deal, but great as with any Formula One race. Whole bunch of fallout afterwards. So we'll talk about some of the news. The first one, first little piece comes from Autosport. After the race on Sunday, Charles Leclerc said, I think DRS needs to stay for now. Otherwise, the races would be very boring. Preseason, all the talk was about these new regulations being making the cars able to follow closer, hopefully more overtaking, and hopefully at some point in the future, maybe we don't even need DRS. DRS has been awesome, though, so far. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think he's right as far as this season goes. It's clearly... In fact, this is probably the optimal use of DRS, which is that it helps with overtaking, but it's not definitive mm -hmm. of the race. It's not like you overtake the guy and off you go, which was oftentimes the case in the past in this instance guys are able to battle back which so that that's the best case scenario for drs i still do think the goal in my understanding the goal is to iterate the cars to a point and the regulations to a point where drs isn't needed for them to be able to overtake one another and it's and i think that is probably best because it feels to me more like necessary evil than mm. like actual good that you can like fabricate an additional 18 kilometers just on a straight or wherever, just out of thin air. It, it's probably, but I, 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 I agree with him that at least for this year, it's making for terrific racing. I yeah, mean, it's added like just another little lever of strategy, really. Like we've seen it come up in both races so far between... Verstappen and Leclerc, right? Like, Leclerc was dummying Verstappen during uh, the Bahrain GP, letting him pass twice just so that he could be ready to have uh, DRS to do his overtake. He did it again uh, in Saudi Arabia, but eventually Max caught on. And he's like, no, I'm waiting for the second DRS straight. So I thought that was really cool how you're just, like, seeing even Verstappen, a guy who's been around for a little bit at this point, currently the champion, and he's out there learning as we're watching him. I think it's really cool. So I don't know how they do it where it's just straight up car versus car. They're not opening the wing. But right now, DRS is definitely working for me. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they – Leclerc is right as far I, – I, you'd have to see – you'd have to see a lot of evolution from here. It doesn't seem like we're getting – these also haven't been the Jeddah's a bad track to prove this. There are tracks where over where there are overtake points that aren't in DRS zones. You know, too. It's mm -hmm. like Jeddah is not one of them really. So it's so that's the it's it's 
it highlights the value of DRS. But the problem is, is there's a lot of tracks that that's true of where it's, you know, there are plenty where you can overtake at various points, but there's a lot of them where DRS zones are are really where your opportunity is. So it's it'll definitely be interesting for the ones where you see DRS zones in quick succession. I look forward to seeing this, for example. Brazil's another one where a great track, really exciting, but you see there's a DRS down the main straight and then another DRS zone right there in sector one. You know, how will people play that? Will they rather have gotten the overtake done? Will they hold off on the main straight? That seems crazy, but you know, it's, it's I don't know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see how it evolves over the season. Is this a dumb comparison? The DRS zone is the corner three of Formula One racing. Some people don't love it, but you got to take them. It's just smart. I feel like it's almost the, I feel like the better comparison is it's like a four point play okay. or something yeah, like okay. that, right? If we had like a little circle <laughs> that you could shoot it. we don't need it. Yeah, hopefully we get to play. <laughs> yeah. Although, are you pro a four point play? Uh, not yes. not a like a I don't Obviously, mean I don't mean wrong a... podcast grade. I can't talk basketball okay. on this one. No, yeah, it's okay. in the contracts. I, uh, I... Actually, I am pro four point line, but only for this reason. I wouldn't have wanted to be the guy back in the 1970s who said no three point line. Oh yeah, you don't want to yeah, go you back. Don't want to. You don't want to be standing athwart history yelling stop. But you know a lot about tracks. It sounds like you're just rattling off where the DRS zones are at in Interlago. So this one is going to throw you for a loop grade. Next news come from Sky Sports F1 on Twitter. Formula One boss Stefano Domenicali has confirmed to Sky Sports F1 that Las Vegas and Africa could both hold races in the future and says 30 Grand Prix in a season would be possible due to the level of interest in the sport. Too many races? 30? It is a lot of races. I am going to say yes, it's too many. It's This isn't about whether the interest is there from the fans which mm-hmm. i think it is and no doubt the sport is uh, ascendant right now and i i do think they'd there's tons of places that would love to host races are there 30 cities or 30 countries globally that would love to have a race yes absolutely you could probably have three or four in the u.s you, we will have three you could probably still have another one in the u.s and have plenty of interest it's really about the guys who work at the races. It's not even the drivers. It's yeah. like the mechanics, the teams. These are really long, hard weeks for them. They are like they can be sleepless nights. They can be, you know, it's not as when the race is done, they just jet off home. It's like there's tons of work to be done, tons of work to be done back home at the factory pr- to prep for the next race. It, the season is hard on these guys. And to just stack in more and more and more races, they're the ones that are slipping through the cracks here. Their sure. well-being is the one that is – is the is the thing that's going under considered when Domenicali says things like this. That being said, I mean, you know, I think that we've we tend to see sports leagues. This isn't unique to F one, right? You know, do make decisions that are in the best interest of the financials, and it probably makes the most sense to add more races for them. It's almost certainly more revenue opportunities in a variety of ways. So I wouldn't expect it if we see more. At some point, is there a breaking point? Will teams and staff push back? The answer is yes. I just don't know where that is. I think it's somewhere before 30, but it's probably not at 25. They'll mm-hmm. probably just deal with it for sure. a minute, you know. So we'll Yeah, see. we got 22 races on the calendar now, and there's already a bunch of back-to-backs or triple headers where it's like, that's a that's just a huge time. You're gone, right? You're gone yeah. for three weeks straight, and it's like you finish the race on Sunday. you got to be there in the next country setting up by Monday yeah. to get ready for Friday. Yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a big-time uh, commitment, no doubt about it. But, man, in a Las Vegas race, that's going to be cool. It I'm is going to be that. wild. It's going to be wild. I... 
I I haven't seen. I don't even know if they have it. If they have like a layout of what the track's going to be like, I I haven't seen it yet. But I do know. I think the thing we know is that the main drag will be the strip, or that is what the plans are. I the love intention it. is, which will be insane. Yeah, and you said uh, you said there are several places in the United States that can hold a race. Obviously, that's true. We've got uh, Austin right now. We've got Miami added to the schedule. Theoretically, Las Vegas in the future. Where else? In I the mean, US? You, you know, so they've they used to have races in Long Beach, right? In uh, that that's one where I think people have talked about um, going back to, uh, you know, there's a Watkins Glen up in the Finger Lakes in upstate New York <laughs> is where they fa- famously used to have like the US Grand Prix. Those are two areas where, I, I don't know if you, you, you almost certainly would have to do some work on both those tracks, I think to bring them up to current F1 standards. But I, those are two areas where I think fans have thought, you know, should we go back there? Um, the other big one that people talk about that was a, a bit of a nightmare, you know, the last few times they were there, but is is the Indianapolis, is Indianapolis, is the Brickyard, uh, you know, where they, they race on the in, part, part of the oval and then part of the interior track, you know, and that they have had the U.S. Wow. Grand Prix there as well. So that's an area where they thought, should we go back there? Those are, I got to presume, all in the conversation, although... Those... Isn't one of the biggest black eyes on Formula One at Indianapolis? Yeah, it's like where tons of the cars were like failing. Yeah, I yeah. think that's, that's probably why they don't go back there it also seems like the current i mean maybe this is a little harsh but certainly where they're having new races that they're adding it feels like dominicali and the current f1 administration don't care about the history of a place like they're more than happy to go more like the party yeah 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 so those three the fact that those are places we've historically had races in the u.s probably means nothing like i would say (laughs) that actually like they're they're just as likely to go to new york city or you know you know a new track in la or something like that as they are somewhere with really good vibes is what you're saying yeah it's about the vibes it's all about the vibes because i think this final piece of news kind of goes hand in hand with more races this is from the drive.com the 22 2022 bahrain gp was espn's most watched formula one race since 1995 like you're saying, ratings go up, number of races goes up. Even the NFL is like played a 16 game schedule for years and years. They're like, sorry, you're playing on Thursdays now. Yeah. We're playing on Saturdays now. And by the way, you got 17 games. So if people are watching, they're going to want to have more stuff to watch. Totally. Uh, the fact that the Bahrain Grand Prix was was the most watched race in you know in you know almost 20 years, you know whatever is, I. Uh, or sorry, way more than 20 years, actually, sorry, almost 30 years, is insane. First of all, what was happening in 1995 that F1 was so popular and it was like, that it got such great ratings. I actually don't know what event uh, caused that. But I, but then I, but also that's, that's just a, it's just wild. I think it's, it's a, it's incredible what, F1 did last season to get so popular. But I do agree. If if they continue to put up those numbers, we'll see what they were for the Saudi GP. But if they continue to put up those numbers, the reality is is they'll they'll continue to host more races and they'll be increasingly eager to have more and more races in the US. They'll want to have as they want it's owned by Liberty Media. Not a lot mm-hmm. of people realize this, but the actual owners of F1 are an American company. So like they are very eager to have as much interest in the United States as possible. Well, I, I remember all the like the off 
track content we got from the Circuit of the Americas race last year. Like, you know, Shaq showing up, Chris Bosh, I think, was riding around in a way too small vehicle at some point. They have like an hour-long pre-show yeah. of just celebrities hanging out on pit road, basically. So, I mean, if you're going to be putting them in Las Vegas and Miami, I think you're probably getting even more <laughs> celebrities yeah. than, than there are in Austin. So, I don't know. I guess the Netflix deal is coming up in not too long as well. So, I'm I'm curious to see how they will uh, address that because some of the drivers, obviously, Verstappen, are not happy with the way it's gone down, uh, the narrativization of the sport, if you will. But it's also bringing a lot of eyeballs and a lot of money to the sport. I mean, that's a pretty big gap in terms of hap- happiness there. I mean, I think the <laughs> F1 itself, Domin- uh, you know, Domenicali, Stefano Domenicali has got to be thrilled with how Drive to Survive has yeah, gone. Yeah. Liberty Media is thrilled. They don't have a single problem with what Drive to Survive is. <laughs> <laughs> the the drivers might, the teams might, but like they think it's a unmitigated success because from an audience generation standpoint, I, I mean it's maybe unprecedented. I honestly can't remember the last time you just did kind of a I don't want to call it a marketing stunt, but just such a naked like, hey, let's let's produce totally. some content and try to get some people into it and then and then it worked and just magically yeah. millions and millions of people cared who didn't care but a couple of years ago. Yeah, it'd be like suddenly if they just came out with a documentary and we're all into horse racing. Yeah, horse totally. Racing, <laughs> totally. Horse racing's right. back. Yeah, now we're, now we're all obsessed. Like, uh, what you got, Secretariat or Seabiscuit? Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people flooding to the <laughs> Belmont Stakes. <laughs> yeah, we're going crazy. Go, like, to, like, be 30 yeah. horse yeah. races. Yeah, totally. We're racing everywhere, but totally. we're going to take one last break. Going to recap the standings from the first couple of weeks here. Take a quick look at the Australian GP. Stick around. Welcome back to No Breaks. Two races down in the Formula One season, and we're already taking a break. Makes me think 30 is maybe necessary. (laughs) Our next race weekend, though, is April 8th through 10th in Australia, mate. So let's take a quick look at the standings here on the driver's table. We got the Ferraris up top. Couple of podiums for both Leclerc and Sainz in our first two races. They're followed by Verstappen, Russell, Hamilton, Ocon, Perez, Magnussen, Botas and Lando Norris down in 10th. And we'll take a quick look at the constructors' standings as well. Ferrari, they're back way up on top. 40-point lead over Mercedes, who had a great week one. Average week two. Red Bull, nothing. Week one, great week two. Followed by Alpine in fourth. Haas, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, McLaren, and then Aston Martin and Williams are only two teams to have yet to score a point this season. So, Graydon, we're going to the Australia GP in a couple of weeks here. They've been racing there since 1996, but not since 2019 have we been back. So, Valtteri Bottas, the current defending champion out in Melbourne. What kind of track do we got here? You know, uh, Melbourne's an interesting track. It's kind of like a partial road track. You can actually drive on parts of the track if you go to Melbourne. because it goes to like a little park area there. Cool. Um, it's what's to me what I'm most interested in about with this track is that it's a little bit famous for for drivers having difficulty getting temperature into the tires because there's no long corners, okay. in it, which is can be really helpful in that. And that is a big X factor this season in general. In general, they're getting temperature in the tires seems harder. Mm-hmm. It's something that guys are concerned about. 
I wonder if a safety car or something like that creates a lot of challenges. That's the thing I'm on the lookout for is how are guys managing that. Um, it's a pretty fast track beyond that, you know, pretty uh, pretty fast and flowing beyond that. But I, I, I don't know. I think it's fun. It used to be the first race of the season yeah. every year, which I actually kind of liked. I thought it was fun. But, you know, whatever. I'm glad, I'm glad we're back. I'm glad that, you know, it's the absence of Australia felt like a, an acute reminder of kind of covid era reality because we were there in 2019 and everything kind of shut down on short notice right you know just like you know right before the race happened so very excited that that they were able to go back seems like the big question uh for the title picture this year has been the configurations between the red bull car and the ferrari car faster in the straights generally for red bull yeah i'm not mistaken uh faster in the corners for ferrari so who's this going to favor in australia I think I think it's got to favor the Red Bulls, right? It's a pretty high speed course. I think I think you're at full throttle, probably r- roughly something like seventy percent of the course, or something like that. You know, so that's not full that's throttle, a, man. That's, that's full beans. Or, or, yeah, if full you will. beans. Yeah, that's you're, full you're, beans there. You're, you know, you're yeah, you're you're Give giving it, it all. You're giving it the beans. About seventy seven out of the t- t- ten <laughs> seconds every. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, seventy percent of the time, it's all beans. So seventy nine percent of men think about their balls every day. Seventy seven percent of the time, you're going full beans in Australia. And then it's, but I. So that's almost certainly got a favorite Red Bull. Okay. Right? So I think that that being said, you know. Ferrari has even admitted that they probably over-indexed on downforce for their setup in Jeddah. It is possible. And they weren't that far off, right? I mean, it's not as if they got blown away. Right. You know, so so it is possible that a little bit of correction, you know, shifting the setup slightly and they could find a little bit better balance, be more competitive on the straights and and be right there. However, the track probably does favor Red Bull. It's funny, too, because I saw some uh, headlines that Red Bull was like, we see Ferrari's downforce and we're like, that merits some consideration. So <laughs> we shall see what these cars actually look like. Because uh, we'll be back right after the Australian GP. I guess that'll be August. Or August. I keep seeing the A and it's throwing me off. It's just April, guys. It's just April right now. April 12th, likely, is the next No Break show. Uh, JD going on vacation next week. We got mm-hmm. no race, so we got nothing to talk about. Graydon, you always have something to talk about. Follow him at Mr. Gordian on Twitter. It's the best place to find turning red tweets. Is this good? Good movie? I, I, I liked it. I had fun with it. Yeah, that was great. You think it's good, it good for time. a seven-year-old? I think it might be. I think it deals with some preteen, early teen <laughs> themes. It might be that just seems to be beyond, the case. Just beyond a seven-year-old. Yeah, we got to do the uh, Scout Watch. Laura I think if you're talking if you're, about if your name is if your excuse me if your age is like two digits, then <laughs> okay. you're into the. You're into the turning red window. This one is a two-digit watch. Thanks yeah. for the info. <laughs> we, you can find us at No Dunks Inc. anywhere and everywhere on the internet. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, wherever. Send us, me and Graydon, Formula One emails at no dunks at theathletic.com. You can subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash no dunks for just a dollar a month for the next six months. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, you already found our new YouTube channel. If you're listening to it on the podcast, you found the podcast feed. But if you're watching on YouTube, go subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube. And if you just found one of them, thank you for finding us. We will be back in a couple of weeks here. Maybe we can get Lee here as a guest on the show, the Australian GP in Melbourne. Why not? Clipper bros. (laughs) 
You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Stay speedy, people. Vroom, vroom.